0: Hear Weill Cornell Medicine's physicians and healthcare providers. Check out the entire podcast library at wildcornellorg slash podcasts.
1: Welcome to Weill Cornell Medicine CancerCast, conversations about new developments in medicine, cancer care, and research. I'm your host, Dr. John Leonard, and today's topic will be anxiety management for patients and caregivers. Today's guest is Dr. Kelly Trevino, a clinical psychologist at Weill Cornell Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital with expertise in working with people with cancer and also with older adults. She is dedicated to helping patients and caregivers utilize their strengths to manage distress, improve relationships, and live in a way that is consistent with their values. Dr. Trevino also conducts research on distress in cancer patients and caregivers and designs interventions to improve care in these populations. So Kelly, thank you very much for being here today and joining us. Uh, this is a, obviously a very important topic uh, for our patients, so uh, we're glad to have your expertise.
2: Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So so the term anxiety, which is really our, our focus today, um, we all have kind of uh, perceptions or definite, our own definitions, but how in a, in a strictly either diagnostic way or, or scientific way, how do you um, design or how do you define anxiety? And clearly um, it's exacerbated or it's special, obviously in patients with cancer. So give us a sense of kind of the term and the, the, the area um, as you think about it when you approach cancer patients in particular.
2: Sure. So uh, generally, we think about anxiety as a reaction to a threat. Uh, so whenever anybody feels threatened in any way, be it physical threat or a threat to your emotional well-being, anxiety is, is really a normal reaction to that threat. Um, and it can be helpful. It can activate us to protect ourselves from the threat, to get away from the thing that is threatening us. Uh, The problem is that anxiety, when it gets to very high levels, um, is no longer helpful and actually can make um, daily tasks um, very difficult. When we think about that kind of anxiety, uh, the definition is really around having uh, worries or feelings of nervousness that are difficult to control and start to really bleed into all aspects of a person's life. So they're always worried about um, whatever threat they're dealing with. They're having trouble sleeping because of those worries. It's at that point where the anxiety goes from being a normal, helpful response to something that is what we might call abnormal, perhaps, or or maybe more um, problematic and something that would benefit from treatment. Um, So, of course, cancer is a huge threat. It's a threat to physical health. It's a threat to um, our our daily lives and our relationships. And so having anxiety in the context of cancer um, is certainly normal. But again, when it gets to that point where it's interfering with people's ability to get through the day, that's when we think um, it's something that really needs treatment.
1: So... So given that spectrum, how can people identify when it's gone from the healthy or normal to the abnormal, unhealthy state? Are there any kind of clues or tricks or something to say, you know, this just isn't the normal cancer worries, but it's now something bigger that needs perhaps some different intervention?
2: Yes, absolutely. absolutely. So I think the first thing is <clears throat> if a person is is having a hard time, um stopping the worry. so it's just always on their mind even when they're doing other things um they're they're still anxious and and worried about the cancer um, that's a, a sign that that, treatment would be helpful. You can also look for more concrete physical signs. So um, if people are having a hard time sleeping because they're worried about cancer, if um, they're very irritable and it's having a negative impact on their relationships with others, that's a sign that the anxiety has now become problematic. Um, there, there are physical symptoms associated with anxiety. So a lot of people will experience Um, tension headaches, for example, um, that are the result of anxiety. Um, Those are important things to talk with your physicians about because sometimes those symptoms can overlap with symptoms of cancer or side effects of treatment. But if people are having symptoms like muscle tension, um, rapid heart rate, things like that, those are also signs that the anxiety really would benefit from some treatment.
1: So the intersection between quality of life and anxiety seems to be pretty strong. And obviously if somebody, as you describe, is having physical symptoms, uh, it's relatively easy to connect those to quality of life if they can't do things or, or are Feeling pain or, or other physical symptoms, but in the more uh, I don't want to say mundane, but in the more typical anxiety, how um, uh, how does that connect with quality of life, and how does that affect people in a way that we should obviously identify that anxiety, even if it's more normal or more uh, more natural in line with the situation?
2: Mm -hmm. So I think the thing about anxiety is that it can really impact quality of life across all domains of life. Um, So certainly we touched on some of the negative physical impacts, but um, there are negative impacts on social quality of life. So anxiety can make people feel irritable, um, which can cause them to perhaps be overly critical of loved ones or um, you know, cause problems in, in relationships. Um, sometimes people who are anxious um, will avoid situations that they think might make the anxiety worse. Um, and that can be a problem if it leads people to socially isolate, um, spend more time by themselves, Um, which is not good for um, social quality of life, but also for other mental health um, Mm -hmm. problems like depression. Um, So it's really, uh, anxiety is one of those reactions in the context of cancer that can really have a very global negative impact on quality of life. And then it can also build on itself. So if you start, if you're feeling anxious and then you're not sleeping, that makes it harder to get along with other people, um, which uh, maybe reduces social support, which just makes people more anxious. So you can really create this cycle where the anxiety builds on itself um, and gets worse over time. So we certainly would want to interrupt a
1: cycle like that. So I, I find your, your characterization or your, um, use of the term threat very helpful because obviously a threat is not necessarily in line with reality. If I feel threatened, I may truly be threatened or I may perceive a threat. And so in the case of cancer, obviously, the perception of the cancer and the risk from the cancer versus the reality of the risk for the cancer may be different, and we've talked about this in some of our research projects. Sure. But it strikes me as as a corollary to that that understanding the disease and the reality of the disease versus your perception of it is a big part of either avoiding or managing anxiety.
2: Absolutely. So um, one of the one of the unique and good uh, good characteristics of humans is that we can project ourselves into the future and worry about things that. Um, haven't happened yet. We can, um, in a sense, make threats for ourselves in a way that, that, um, you know, perhaps other animals can't. Um, What that means is that we can generate a lot of anxiety based on something that doesn't actually exist. And I I think that's a very easy thing uh, to happen for someone who has cancer. Um, It's very easy to worry about um, what if the cancer gets worse? What if the treatment doesn't work? Um, what is my life going to look like six months or two years or five years from now? And while those are certainly normal questions, sometimes they're based in concerns that are, are less likely to happen. Um, and so absolutely having an understanding of what your illness is and And, really, what you're saying is understanding the nature of the threat sure. um, is really important because then you can manage it better. and if you do uh, if your thoughts then start to go to some of these other worries about um, you know what if the cancer gets worse, for example, you can sort of check in with yourself to say, "Is that something that my oncologist has told me is is likely to happen?" and if not, then uh, maybe that's something that is not helpful to worry about right now, um, because it's not it's not a reality in the moment. That's very hard to do, um, and all of these kinds of thoughts are very normal in the context of cancer, um, but it can help to sort of check in uh, with how you're thinking about it to make sure that what you're thinking is based in reality.
1: So in a minute I want to get into how what people can do to cope with anxiety, but before we get there I want to get to two special Mm -hmm. categories of people that maybe experience anxiety in this context. One is older patients because um, I know one of your areas of expertise is older patients and clearly many patients with cancer are older. So what about the aging process or being older either exacerbates it or changes anxiety? And then also caregivers. Caregivers are clearly anxious about their loved one. Um what what are the issues that caregivers face in that context? So
2: Yeah, sure. So older adults with cancer and caregivers are two very large and growing populations in the cancer world. And interestingly, um, there is not as much research on these groups as you might imagine, given how large they are. Um, that being said, uh, generally speaking, when we look at older adult patients versus younger adult patients, um, older adults, uh, tend to have lower levels of distress. Um, and there, there are a lot of hypothesized reasons for that. Um, life experience, for example, as, as, um, uh, sources of coping uh, is one uh, possibility. That being said, uh, many older adults do have elevated anxiety. And part of what makes cancer particularly challenging for some older adults is that uh, they're also dealing with other physical comorbidities associated with aging, and so we this has been referred to in the field as sort of the double whammy of cancer and aging. Um, you might already have arthritis or heart disease, and then on top of that, you get cancer, and so it just exacerbates the whole intersection with the medical field. You have more appointments now, and um, you know everything that comes from managing these kinds of illnesses. Uh, so when we think about treating anxiety for older adults with cancer, we are thinking about that context of aging and how to to integrate anxiety treatment in what can be a very complicated um, health situation. Uh, for caregivers, um, you know, one of the great advances in cancer care has been that we can provide a lot of treatments on an outpatient basis, so people have to spend less time in the hospital. What that has meant is that informal caregivers play a larger role than pe- perhaps in the past, in terms of caring for people with cancer. Um, And so they're performing more medical tasks, for example, than they might have in the past. And that's often in the context of jobs and families that caregivers are also managing. So the burden of cancer caregiving is um, very high for a lot of, for a lot of people. And if I was going to say one thing about um, cancer caregivers is that because there is so much, there are so many tasks for them to do. Um, often they start to neglect their own self-care. And so that can just contribute to not only poor health in the caregiver, but also greater difficulty caring for the patient, um, which then just creates additional problems from a cancer care perspective. So um, a, th- a theme with cancer caregivers always is working with them to maintain some level of self-care to the degree that they feel able um, to manage their own health and anxiety.
1: So how can people cope with, uh, with anxiety? And, and obviously there are pharmacologic mm-hmm. ways of doing this. And I think different people, A, it's often faster for some people, but not the preferred way uh, mm-hmm. for many situations. And then obviously, uh, you know, strategies that people can use or can, uh, help their loved ones uh, employ to try to, to manage this sort of thing. So what are the, uh, some sure. of the key areas here?
2: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So there are certainly medicines that can help with anxiety. Um, sometimes they are, they're not able to be used, particularly in the older adult population because of side effects and so forth. Um, but they can be very helpful. And that's something that people should talk to their providers about. Um, in terms of alternative strategies, we really think about two, two, categories the first is behaviors or actions that people can take to manage anxiety um, and some of these are really straightforward which is nice because they're they're relatively easy to use so for example deep breathing um, focusing on taking deep and controlled breaths is a very effective anxiety management strategy because anxiety can activate the nervous system and deep breathing calms it back down. And deep breathing is something uh, people can uh, do on their own. You can do it anywhere. Um, And so it's really one of the tried and true, true strategies. A couple of other behavioral techniques are things like muscle relaxation exercises that really work to release muscle tension, um, which can be helpful with people are having um, headaches or shoulder pain, back pain related to anxiety. Um, other techniques are uh, things like guided imagery, where people focus their minds on a relaxing scene um, to try to um, first give their mind a break from the, from the worries, but also bring down again that activation that can come with feeling anxious. Um, and there are, you know, you can even go on the internet and find uh, scripts for things like guided imagery or mindfulness exercise that are exercises that are really helpful. And then I'd also say, um, you know, making sure that uh, people have adequate social support is a really effective strategy and we can't, um, there's a lot of research on the benefits of social support uh, for distress management, um, so we really can't minimize that. So that's the first category of these sort of behavioral strategies for for anxiety management. And then the other we've sort of alluded to is how people think about their situation. and, um, our thoughts really influence how we feel about cancer, um, about our sort of role in cancer. Um, and one thing that we really work with people on is examining those thoughts uh, because at times, and this is sort of what you were talking about earlier, there is a, a tad of untruth in the way we think about things, um, something that's not quite consistent with reality. Um, and that, um, that piece of untruth can really drive anxiety. So I remember one time I had a patient who had a lot of anxiety around um, getting results for a scan and he was in the waiting room waiting for the scan results from his oncologist and the oncologist was running late, Um, so he was waiting a long time. And his thought process in the waiting room was, my oncologist is late because he knows my scan is bad and he's trying to figure out a way to tell me. So he spent, you know, half an hour in the waiting room thinking this and his anxiety was just through the roof. And the reality was the scan results were actually great. Um, The oncologist clinic just ran behind. This is very common um, when people are getting cancer care. So that was a really nice example of how his anxiety was driven by these thoughts that were just, there was a piece of untruth in that. Um, And once he could examine that and challenge it and say, okay, I know my oncologist is very busy. I know he's run. Late before um, then he could manage the anxiety a little bit better.
1: It strikes me that there are patients where their care is really compromised beyond their quality of life, beyond their coping, where either their not getting care because of anxiety or getting too much care, or too much monitoring because of anxiety. And, you know, that seems to me to be a a major issue and takes a lot of time because unless you address the anxiety, you're not going to be able to optimally manage the cancer.
2: Absolutely. And there's actually more data on this um, than more recent data on this that anxiety really One um, can drive treatment decisions, cancer treatment decisions, um, in in a way that might not be evidence-based. So meaning that a decision might be made to initiate treatment, for example, even if that um, wasn't needed based on what we know about the cancer treatment. Um, the other the other issue that can happen is we, the, the data suggests that um, if anxiety is not treated, a patient might be at risk for things like interruptions in their cancer treatment, missing doses of chemotherapy, for example. Um, and anxiety is very treatable. Um, it doesn't actually even take much time and or resources to treat. So I absolutely agree that given that there can be such negative impact on the treatment of the cancer. It really makes sense to identify people who have very high levels of anxiety and provide them with some treatment first.
1: So I, I want to uh, wrap up in a minute, but mm-hmm. but first, I know you spend uh, a lot of a good part of your time doing research on uh, anxiety and psychosocial support and distress in cancer patients. What are kind of the key areas of research going on? The key studies or, or areas of research that Um, you think are promising and important, um, some of which patients may want to participate in if they have access to it, um, with regard to addressing this really important area.
2: Yeah, so um, the really great thing about research in anxiety treatment is there actually is a lot of really good data on what works. Um, So the behavioral strategies that I mentioned, the thought examination, there there are uh, lots of studies showing that those techniques are effective in reducing reducing anxiety. I think where the research really is now is examining how we integrate these kinds of treatments into cancer care so that patients can actually get them. Um, So it's what we might call an implementation research question. Um, So if we have a treatment that works um, in a controlled research environment, how do we provide that in a cancer care setting, which is complicated and also varies, right? What cancer, what the cancer clinic looks like at, at Weill Cornell, New York Presbyterian might be different than in um, a clinic in upstate New York, which is serving a different population. Um, and these are research questions. We, we can examine what makes it easier to implement these interventions. What makes it harder? What do we need to provide to make sure that patients can get these treatments in a way that is well-integrated into their cancer care. So one example of this is traditionally a lot of the uh, psychotherapy kinds of anxiety treatments have been in person. Um, but if you are, let's say, an older adult with cancer, coming in for an additional appointment can, can be a huge obstacle to care. And so thinking about the telephone, for example, as a mechanism or the internet, um, as a way to deliver these interventions is, I think, more where the field is moving because there is this recognition that if we just keep piling on in-person appointments, people eventually just can't keep coming. Um, they, they don't want to come and it's hard for them to come. So I think it's questions like that. It's this point that the field is really grappling with so that the treatments that have been developed are available.
1: So uh, as we wrap up a key key message that you want to leave people with if they're dealing with cancer or, or a loved one with cancer um, and and how to, to tackle or at least consider management of anxiety in that group of people.
2: Yeah, sure. So mm-hmm. I would say it's maybe a two part message. Um, the first part being that having some anxiety in the context of cancer is certainly normal. And so if you're feeling anxious, it's not a reason to judge yourself or to feel as if you're weak or not managing well. That being said, um, there are treatments like what we've been talking about that are effective in helping reduce or manage anxiety and so the the flip side of saying that it's normal is is also saying that just because it's okay to feel anxious doesn't mean there's not something that we can do to reduce the impact that has on the quality of your life and this is something that is entirely reasonable to bring up to your oncologist who can maybe help you find resources I think sometimes people will say to me like my oncologist is so Busy, I just didn't want to bother him. No, they oncologists want to know, or your nurse, or whomever on your team you're you're comfortable with, want to know if you're having anxiety so that they can find you the resources that you need. So I think that's sort of the dual message: is don't judge yourself for having anxiety, but at the same time, ask us. We have we have resources we can offer.
1: Well, thanks uh, very much for joining us today. This has been a great discussion, and I know. This issue is a major focus and, by many people, unappreciated focus of cancer, the cancer experience. Uh, so, thank you for joining us All and good, for your work you. in this area.
2: Thanks for the invitation. Okay. It was a pleasure.
1: So, I want to in, uh, invite the audience to write to us at cancercast at med.cornell.edu with questions, comments, and topics you'd like to see us cover more in depth in the future. That's it today for CancerCast, conversations about new developments in medicine, cancer care, and research. I'm Dr. John Leonard. Thanks for tuning in.
2: Are you or a loved one suffering from the painful side effects of cancer and cancer treatment, swollen joints, back pain, and surgical complications are, unfortunately, common? Be sure to listen to our podcast about rehabilitation medicine, Back to Health. You'll learn how rehabilitation medicine can help promote wellness during and after cancer treatment.